Welcome to Pharmacy View Podcast, where we provide regular interviews with pharmacists and key people within Australian pharmacy and the associated global industry. In this stream of podcast episodes titled Rx to Riches, we delve into the evolving global pharmacy landscape, exploring the challenges and opportunities, and examining the current state of retail pharmacy across the globe. With each guest, we discuss the hurdles they face and the potential growth areas that may shape a brighter future for your pharmacy or industry-related business. I'm your host, Michael Alexander, pharmacist, digital health enthusiast, and co-founder of Ottery, an AI-powered communication intelligence platform serving the healthcare industry across the globe. My guest today is proudly brought to you by Shopfront Solutions. For all your shelf and digital marketing needs, part of the Arion Technologies Group. So at the time, uh, I was working for a, the a government agency called National Ambulance. So they managed emergency services and um, ambulance services for everywhere in the country except Dubai. So Dubai had their own emergency service provider, but um, I was based in Abu Dhabi, but we covered the other emirates within the UAE. And during that time, they put out a tender for the Formula One contract for emergency services. And my organization won that. So we were providing all emergency services for the event itself. That included a medical center and flying in several emergency specialist consultants from all over the world who would volunteer for this event for the weekend, as well as um, several other healthcare professionals, admin staff, um, GPs, and then a pharmacist who would be your resident drug supplier. And in the medical center, we would obviously have a clinic set up for people visiting the Formula One track for that full four-day weekend. So if you had a minor ailments, dehydration, any falls, um, people will obviously be drinking. So sometimes that comes part and parcel of minor ailments as well. Um, but the, the main the main reason that we were all there is to support the drivers on track side. So um, we would be providing medications um, to support the consultants to go out if there was a, a, a car crash or an accident, which we would need to go onto the track. Welcome to the RX to Riches podcast. My guest today is London-based pharmacist Anisha Patel. Anisha has a wealth of international experience in pharmacy, having first trained and worked as a pharmacist in the UK before spending five years living and working in Abu Dhabi. She returned home in 2018 and is currently working as a pediatric specialist pharmacist at Guy's and St. Thomas's NHS Foundation Trust. Anisha is also a senior clinical lecturer at King's College London. And if that wasn't enough, she is also the founder of the Pharmacist Diaries podcast, a weekly podcast whose goal is to showcase the pharmacy profession and inspire pharmacists to pursue their passions and dreams. Anisha, thanks for joining me today. Absolutely. I love sharing kind of my journey and my story on a podcast and making a new connection and a new friend. So thanks for having me. Absolutely. Well, let's start then with your pharmacist journey. You know, how and why did you become a pharmacist? My pharmacist story and my actual journey to becoming a pharmacist is not so exciting. Um, <laughs> um, I kind of have to be honest with that because I... I have uh, parents who owned a pharmacy or multiple pharmacies growing up. So I spent a lot of time in pharmacies. However, they're not pharmacists. 
Um, they were owners of pharmacists and had sort of what we in the UK we call locums working for them. Um, and they had that for over, you know, two decades. So growing up, I was always behind the counter. Um, as I became a teenager, I was stocking shelves. And back in the day when we had to use those pricing guns to uh, price products, my dad would have me um, pricing everything correctly, doing stock checks, expiry date checking. So I kind of was, yeah, raised in that, um, in a healthcare environment, let's say, in the community. Um and when I was in school, I moved to the US around the age of 15 from the UK. So I lived in Virginia at the time. And that transition from the UK to the US was really hard for me as a teenager. I went from an all girls private school, um, wearing uniform every day and looking really, really smart, going to school every day with a blazer and everything and a tie to the freedom of the public school environment. Um, boys and girls mixed, wear what you want, be who you want to be, um, and just immersing in a completely new environment, which I think in hindsight kind of threw me off my educational trajectory because I was just learning to figure out who I was as a person, as a teenager. Moving countries was really, really hard for me. Um, and when I went into college, I went to Virginia Tech. I did my undergraduate degree in biology with a minor in chemistry and, again, was still exploring who I was. And if I'm completely honest, I was a great student. I did really, really well in my studies. I was I had this ability to cram, lastminute.com, stay up all night, study for exams, do the coursework, but really enjoy myself in terms of friendships and going out late at night on multiple nights of the week. And I probably didn't take my, um, my career seriously. I also was raised in a very Asian environment where education was, you know, high on the list of things that you needed to achieve well in. And there was quite a high expectation that you needed to go down a professional pathway. Um, so my parents' I'd say they expected that I would become a doctor, pharmacist, lawyer, engineer, something of that nature. And I think personally now I look back that there was so much pressure to be that high achiever that I rebelled to some extent and I didn't take that whole career pathway very seriously. I did my MCATs to attempt to get into medical school and I did average on them. And at that point I had to make the decision as to taking a year out of university or pursuing another pathway such as pharmacy. So I had that discussion with my dad at the time and I wasn't quite happy living in the US. I didn't really fit in or I felt at the time I didn't really fit in and I was missing the UK. At the end of the day, it was my home. It's where I've been raised. It's the culture that I, you know, I love and I thrived in and I wanted to move back to the UK. And at that point, I kind of had this discussion with my dad that, look, I'm not going to get into a good medical school at this point. And my motivation wasn't there. I think the motivation lied with pleasing my parents to some extent to do what they wanted me to do and what they thought would be good for me. And now they have the best of intentions. Don't get me wrong. They wanted me to work in a career which allowed me to thrive financially, be able to support myself ind independently as a woman 
and be able to hold my own, um, as well as working in, a, in an amazing career where I, I would always have a job. So their intentions were amazing, but they didn't quite align with who I wanted to be. And I definitely had a creative side. When I look at the university modules and what I was choosing to do as a university student, I chose a lot of the interior design, the arts, the arts, kind of the um, more creative side of the, you know, the flexible options you have um, in an undergraduate degree in the US. And now I see where my podcast aligns with a lot of those skills that I enjoyed so much back then, but where I'm aligning my pharmacy career with that creative side of my personality. So at the end of the day, I decided that, look, living in the US wasn't for me. And my dad had suggested, look, you know, at the end of the day, pharmacy is an amazing career. You've got a variety of career pathways within the field. You have great flexibility with full-time jobs, part-time working, locum hours, starting off in community, switching to hospital, whatever it is you want to do, there are options for you. And if you're not really sure what you like at the moment, I'm sure that you can find something in this space. And I trusted that and I applied to pharmacy school from the US um, and got into a pharmacy school in the UK and I moved back home. And the rest is kind of history. Once I came back to the UK, and this is back in 2005, I was really serious and focused and I knew at that point that, look, I'm really ready to, I've, I've had fun, I, you know, I've, I've gone to university already four years, I've lived away from parents, I've done all the things that a lot of people in their early 20s or from 18 onwards would enjoy doing and now I'm ready to focus on this career pathway. So when I moved back to the UK, I actually moved in with my parents which was strange for me, but at the same time, I was quite comfortable with it. I didn't really want to live with other 18-year-olds because I was already 22 and I wanted to have that independence and not live in student accommodation anymore. Um, I commuted to the university every day and on the weekends, I worked in a community pharmacy and truly immersed myself into the environment of what it would be like to work as a pharmacist. And I thrived in the environment and I found that the course was amazing in in so many different ways. Uh, I loved the communication side of pharmacy and being able to interact with a patient on your community high street and be able to support them um, with minor ailments or with giving advice on kind of prescriptions. I was really interested in kind of health and well-being and fitness. So there was a lot of the kind of non-pharmaceutical advice that I was giving over the counter that I genuinely enjoyed. And then I did some hospital placements during that time and decided that, yes, like, I really want to try what hospital pharmacy has to offer as well. So when I went into my training year, I went into the hospital um, environment and I haven't looked back since. I've, you know, I've always kind of loved the hospital setting and have continued that journey. So it feels like it's not so much of an exciting story. Um in terms of why pharmacy is suited to me. But now I'm in it, I really enjoy it. I thrive in this environment and I know that there are so many opportunities for me and I can go into so many different types of jobs. That's what I've really enjoyed. And I have experienced so many different sides of pharmacy since starting this career journey. And um, of course, I've started a podcast now, which is all about pharmacy careers. So of course, I'm a massive advocate for this profession now, um, but it wasn't where I started. 
Well, let's talk a little bit about that in terms of, you know, the different types of roles and jobs. I mean, like you said, you, you went into clinical, you didn't look back, but you've had a pretty diverse journey throughout pharmacy. You know, you've worked internationally, like I mentioned, Abu Dhabi, you know, you're also a lecturer, you're a podcaster. So tell me a little bit about, you know, did you have a plan going in for your career? You know, what kind of challenges, opportunities did you face um, as you've gone through your career? Uh, be interesting to kind of dive into that a bit more. Yes. Yeah, so during my training year, which in the UK is after university, you have a full year of training. Um, this can be split between different sectors of pharmacy. So, I mean, it was 13 years ago when I did my training. And back then, finding a role as a training pharmacist, you would most likely fit either into community into hospital or into industry. But as the years have gone by, there are so many more options or there are what we call split placements. So you might spend six months in community, six months in hospital, or six months in community, six months in industry. So you get a little bit of variety in terms of understanding your skill set, your passions, and where you fit in, in terms of what pharmacy has to offer. But when I applied for my training year, I did a full-on um, year in hospital, but they also uh, guide you to have four weeks in a community pharmacy during that time because at the end of the year, you have an exam to take uh, a registration exam and a lot of the content, especially the clinical content, is focused on over-the-counter drugs and uh, minor ailments and things that you would provide as a community pharmacist. So you do immerse yourself in that environment. But luckily for me, I had already done so much of that during my student life that it was really easy for me to understand a lot of those um, community pharmacy questions and thrive in that environment and thrive in that element of the exam as well. And when I went into the hospital environment, I, I loved being on a ward. I was crazy about it. I loved doing drug histories on patients and understanding what they were taking at home um, and why they had come into hospital and then feeling a little bit like an investigator of understanding what they were at home taking, what they've come in with and how we can amend and change and optimize their medications whilst they're in hospital. And then following their journey during their admission and being able to counsel them on discharge to make sure that they had education and support and guidance as to what they needed to take during their kind of um, transition back into the house or into a care home or wherever they were going. And we dealt with a lot of surgical patients as well. So the post-op procedures and the post-op, you know, thromboprophylaxis and pain relief and constipation. There was so much education that was involved with um, the types of surgeries in a cardiac hospital and respiratory. Those are the main things that we kind of dealt with. Um, and I loved talking to people. I spent most of my day on the ward around surrounded by patients. And even to this day, um, I would be the same. I kind of take the laptop to the bedside, introduce myself to the families and in terms of pediatrics and spend most of my time talking to families and understanding what their needs are, what, you know, what guidance do they need? What education do they need? Where can I make interventions? Where can I support other healthcare professionals such as doctors and nurses in terms of drug administration or interactions or, um, prescribing certain medications or looking at levels for antibiotics. I really loved that holistic side of, of being a pharmacist in a clinical environment. 
And I was certain when I qualified and I started a residency, which in the UK is three years, and every three months you rotate to a different specialty generally um, in a residency here in the UK. And during the time that you're a resident pharmacist, you also complete a clinical pharmacy diploma with a university. So you're doing that kind of postgraduate training. And during that time, I knew I wanted to stay in hospital. However, um, I have a little spin on my my lifestyle because I, I met my husband during that time and he was already living in Dubai. So we were doing crazy uh, long distance um, relationship. I was flying out to Dubai every eight weeks to visit him for long weekends. I would purposely pick night shifts. So I would get multiple days off after the night shifts. I would finish a night shift at 8am and take a bus to the airport in London and jump on a, um, a plane stay for four days and then take a night uh, flight back to London jump on a bus and then go straight to work from the airport and I did this for three years and I fell in love I, I I loved I loved uh, I loved him. I still love him. We're still we're still together and we have family together and um I wanted to I wanted to follow him. I wanted to to follow my love story. So I love traveling. I love exploring the world and I just decided that once my residency was done because I wanted to finish that I would step out of my hospital role and try and find a hospital pharmacist role abroad. I looked for jobs prior to traveling and, and adventuring to the UAE, but I didn't really find much online. And I think at that time, so this is back in 2013, and the way things work in the UAE, um, looking for roles online is not the way that they manage recruitment. A lot of the time it's who you know, attending conferences, networking, and having those connections with people to know when jobs are coming out and how to apply for them. It doesn't work in the same way as it does in the UK. And I expected things to be exactly the same. And they totally, yeah, threw a curveball. So I, I went out there and I genuinely struggled to find work. Community pharmacy um, in the UAE is very different to the UK. It's not yet as advanced. So you are providing prescriptions, you you do provide some education around the medications. But personally, I feel like at the time I was there, you are a glorified shopkeeper. And you're dealing with a lot of the over the counter and you can you can sell pretty much anything over the counter, you can buy steroid creams, eye drops, insulin, so patients can get access to things that would 100% be prescription only here in the UK and probably in the US. So it's not the side of pharmacy that I really wanted to get into. And also with the way that um, the laws work and discrimination uh, laws in the UAE being different to the UK, when you apply for a job or when you're a recruiter and you're advertising for a job, you are allowed to say 35-year-old male from so-and-so country in the advertisement, which obviously would never happen in the UK or the US. But, you know... Um, this is something that I didn't have any awareness of. So I would be applying for roles and I wouldn't even hear back from people in terms of interviews. Um, and it, it really, it got me down at the time because I came out of a residency feeling 
really confident and I felt like I'd created an amazing clinical foundation for the start of what seemed like a brilliant career. And I somewhat made an assumption that when you look at Dubai from the outside, there are so many hospitals, there are so many healthcare opportunities constantly coming up, hospitals being built, clinics being set up, pharmacies being built, that you believed that there would be a lot of opportunity. What I discovered once I arrived was also that in hospital, there were limits to the number of um, clinical pharmacists that you would have on a ward or pharmacotherapy specialists that you would have within a hospital. So here, where I work at the moment, so I work for a massive hospital, we have over 600 members of staff within pharmacy. Not all pharmacists. There's obviously all healthcare professionals within that, um, pharmacy technicians, your technical staff, finance, um, supply chain, clinical trials, clinical pharmacists, you know, managers, operations, it all comes under one group, but that's a huge number of pharmacy staff. Whilst when you look at the UAE and the number of clinical pharmacists in each hospital, there would only be two, three, four, five clinical pharmacists. So of course, finding a job would definitely be more challenging compared to the UK and opportunities don't come up online. So it's a case of going into the hospital and feeling like you have to print out a copy of your resume or your CV and start connecting with people or attending conferences and finding out where people work and asking them face to face, are there opportunities? How do I get opportunities? So when you ask me the question about challenges, this is something huge that I faced at the time. It really, it, it really put me down and made me feel like I didn't have the skill, I didn't have the value, and I lost a little bit of confidence at that time. And it was a real struggle to find opportunities when I felt like I had so much to offer after completing a residency. I went through a lot of agencies. I went to all the conferences. I tried to network with as many people as possible. I then started looking into pharmaceutical sales. I then actually started looking outside of pharmacy because I didn't want to leave my husband. I didn't want to leave Dubai. I'd already been there for six months. Um, we had, you know, really enjoyed spending time together and we didn't want to separate again and I didn't want to have to return to the UK. But it got to the point where maybe 10 months, I decided that actually, do you know what, I think I need to return to the UK and work. I don't feel independent. I had to constantly ask him for pocket money. Um, and when you live there under, without a job, you're on a holiday visa. So you can only stay on your holiday visa for 30 days. And then I would drive to Oman, cross the border, do a U-turn and re-enter on another 30-day visa. I couldn't get a phone, a mobile phone, um, because I didn't have a visa. I couldn't get a bank account because I didn't have a visa. Um, I was constantly being charged a lot of money to take um, cash out of a cash point because the, of the exchange rates, etc. And um, also at the time, it was illegal for us to live together unmarried. So in the first few months, we were not married yet. Um, and it was illegal to live together unmarried. So, you know, that was quite stressful for us because um, 
we were not following the laws and regulations expected of us at in that country and we wanted to respect the culture and their their rules at the end of the day we are visitors in in their in their country and we want to follow the law so i made the decision to go home i actually took a flight i came back home and visited my parents and during that time of course someone reached out to me and uh, the the job that i got at national ambulance in emergency services and where i worked as a formula one pharmacist that was the role um, that i got when i reached home they called me for an interview and said this is the job that offer that we've got we'd love to interview for you for the role would you be interested so obviously i flew back <laughs> to Abu Dhabi, um, interviewed for the role and, and got offered the job. Um, so everything worked out in the end and what an amazing opportunity that was and one I was not really expecting and not one that had been planned for, but uh, an unexpected surprise and someone saw my skill and saw the value in me as a professional and they gave me an opportunity. So yeah, that's where my, my journey to working in the UAE began. What does a Formula One pharmacist actually do? So at the time, uh, I was working for the a government agency called National Ambulance. So they managed emergency services and um, ambulance services for everywhere in the country except Dubai. So Dubai had their own emergency service provider, but um, I was based in Abu Dhabi, but we covered the other emirates within the UAE. And during that time, they put out a tender for the Formula One contract for emergency services. And my organization won that. So we were providing all emergency services for the event itself. That included a medical center and flying in several emergency specialist consultants from all over the world who would volunteer for this event for the weekend, as well as um, several other healthcare professionals, admin staff, um, GPs, and then a pharmacist who would be your resident drug supplier. And in the medical center, we would obviously have a clinic set up for people visiting the Formula One track for that full four day weekend. So if you had a minor ailments, dehydration, any falls, um, people will obviously be drinking. So sometimes that comes part and parcel of minor ailments as well. Um, but the, the main, the main reason that we were all there is to support the drivers on track side. So, um, we would be providing medications, um, to support the consultants to go out if there was a, a, a car crash or an accident, which we would need to go onto the track. Um, and then, over the course of that weekend, there are multiple events in Abu Dhabi. There's concerts, there's events on the beach and lots of fun opportunities to enjoy the whole weekend. And we would have ambulances all over the city, um, basically ready for emergency services for the weekend. So the main part of it was for me was to set up all these services, ensure all the ambulances were stocked with medications. And then because we have so many consultants coming from all over the world they had to be licensed as doctors temporarily for the long weekend but also there was a lot of this is where my passion for education and training also started was that you would have to provide them with the induction and education and training around the legal aspects of prescribing medications and if they were to use anything 
trackside or in the medical center, they would have to understand the the legal aspects of writing a prescription, uh, the rules around control drugs, which are completely different to the UK or the, the US, and supporting them with that induction and making sure that we have access to enough drugs to cover the entire weekend as well. Um, so there was so much planning, so much additional supply that we'd have to get to prepare for this weekend because so many ambulances would be ready um, to support the, the a massive event for the country. You know, I really love that because a lot of times we just think of pharmacy as kind of two lanes, right? You do community pharmacy or you do hospital pharmacy. And we forget there's a lot of diverse uses, I, I suppose, for our skill set, like Formula One pharmacists. I'm sure a lot of people would put their hands up and say, hey, I'd love to be a Formula One pharmacist. That sounds awesome. So, which kind of brings me to the next chapter of your life. You know, it's 2018 now. You've been in Abu Dhabi for a few years. Um, and you're ready to go back home. Um, so tell me a little bit about going back home and then starting your Pharmacist Diaries podcast. You know, what inspired you to jump into podcasting and hear the stories of other pharmacists? Yeah, so after working for National Ambulance, like you said, there is so much variety in terms of skill set. So I was really fortunate when working for National Ambulance that I stepped into a leadership role that I wasn't quite expecting or ready for. The company was growing at an exponential rate. We were getting more and more ambulances. We were hiring paramedics from all over the world, from New Zealand, Australia, UK, Ireland, US, everywhere. So when those paramedics were flying in um, for these jobs, they've all come from countries where they have access to different drugs. So education and training became a massive part of my role because I was building an induction package to explain to all these paramedics what drugs they have access to, what indications they're allowed to use them, what dosages they're allowed to have, how much supply they have, how do you get a resupply? Because our ambulances are all over the country. Some of them would be four or 500 kilometers away from the pharmacy. So how would you actually know when to get a resupply of your your drugs when you're running low on your ambulance. Um, and this is where I started creating e-learning packages. So when new staff would be coming in, which was every week, we would have huge amounts of induction for new staff who were traveling into the country, that I would constantly be providing that education and that support. And um, we also did lots around controlled drugs. And then we did uh, calculations. We did a lot of clinical content for them to learn about the specific drugs that they would also use and have access to. And the other thing with um, with that role, I, I really grew as a leader because when I first joined the company, paramedics actually weren't legally allowed to uh, administer drugs on an ambulance. So they were a transport service. They would have to go to a patient's home if they were having an MI and transport them to a hospital or they would go to a car accident and a trauma, they would just transport the patient to a hospital. And during that transport time, they had no access to meds. And working alongside the medical director at the time, we were able to convince the government that, hey, this, this needs to change. We need to have access to medication so we can save lives on the spot. Your wait time to get from one location to another where they actually get that medical support is too long and people are dying. 
So we need to have paramedics trained and ready to administer drugs. And so we managed to change the law for the country. We managed to allow paramedics to have access to drugs and administer them under a specific formulary. Um, so we had about 70 medications. We had a basic life support bag, an advanced life support bag, and then a controlled drugs bag. And this is where I got to actually build my own pharmacy in this job. So again, something very new and exciting. I didn't have anyone else working with me in this role. So all the legal requirements around building your own pharmacy and understanding what the health authority of Abu Dhabi expected me to do when it came to storing control drugs and how much access to medications are we allowed? How do we make sure that the room that we use for pharmacy is is locked securely and people don't have access to it, like all the normal requirements that you would think about when owning and running and building a pharmacy, but things I had never really been exposed to in my life before because I came from a residency, a very clinical patient-facing role and transitioning into a leadership role, which was a massive learning curve. So when it comes to skill set, I became a leader, I became a great communicator, I became an educator. And I enjoyed learning pharmacy from a very different aspect of a, a normal patient facing role. I didn't see patients for nearly three years. I missed that patient facing side because I know personally, that I thrive in an environment where I have patients in front of me. So before I moved home, I actually worked for Cleveland Clinic Abu Dhabi. So I transitioned back to a hospital role in my life in Abu Dhabi. But at this time, by this time, uh, we we had we started our family. So I had a baby, um, and Liliana was uh, nearly one when we moved home. We wanted to be a little bit closer to family, and I also wanted to go back to the NHS and enjoy the clinical side of pharmacy. When I came back home. Um, we initially decided we would live with family until we decided on a location that would suit us all. Um, and I found an amazing part-time job three days a week in education and training at a hospital. And this is where I was supporting these trainee pharmacists get through that training year. And I covered a um, maternity leave contract, which was a 12-month contract covering someone's job and she's an incredible pharmacist and she really supported me through this um, journey as an education and training pharmacist in the UK after transitioning back. I also went back to my old hospital where I did my residency and then filled my clinical time two days a week in my old stomping ground, somewhere where I trusted, I knew the systems, I knew the policies, I knew the guidelines, I knew the staff. The old doctors that I used to work with had stepped up into consultant level and they were really junior doctors when I first started, but they were still working there. And it was so nice to see familiar faces and immersing myself in an environment that I'm very, very familiar with. So I stepped up my the clinical side of my working life again, but I also then stepped into a very education-focused role and utilized the skills that I built in Abu Dhabi and something that I was really passionate about and that I really enjoyed, so I got a good combination. But during this time in that education and training role, uh, my friend and colleague um, also 
became pregnant and went on maternity leave and she was the pediatric pharmacist. And when she went on leave, they really struggled to find a replacement for her whilst she was on her maternity. And I offered to support uh, the pediatric department on the neonatal ward and one small pediatric ward. And I fell in love with pediatrics. I stepped into it out of kindness, uh, I wanted to learn uh, a new specialist area. I really enjoyed pediatrics and I knew that I would immerse myself well into the environment and I stepped into something very different. But being a really small hospital this time, I felt really comfortable that I would have the support mechanisms in place and I knew the consultants. So I was really happy working with a team of doctors who were really supportive with the fact that I didn't have that much experience in pediatrics, but I was like, look, I can, I can do this. I can learn clinical content, but I've got the skills to manage a ward, manage a service. I've got the leadership skills to have staff and have people working underneath me um, and work as a team that all the skills were there, but I didn't necessarily have that clinical experience, but I knew that I could work really hard and kind of educate myself on this. So I stepped into that role and I genuinely fell in love. So I had this mix of pediatrics and education in me. And during this role, I found a position in London, which was a, another kind of permanent job, which split between pediatrics and education. So working for a big pediatric hospital with a lot of rare diseases and really interesting clinical patients, but also stepping up from training pharmacists, I would go to a university and teach pharmacy students. And that for me was dream job, combining all my skills into one place and being able to enjoy the clinical side of working as well as the education side of working. So I was really fortunate that opportunity came up at the time that it did and was very fortunate to be awarded that job. And that's the role I've been in ever since. That was part one of my two-part conversation with Anisha Patel. Please join me next week for part two. See you then. Thanks for joining us today on the Pharmacy View podcast. And don't forget to like, share, and leave a comment if you found this episode of value or have any feedback. Podcast episodes are promoted through social media, LinkedIn, YouTube, and major podcast mediums. And each episode can be found on the Pharmacy View webpage with links to guest contact and business details. If you're a pharmacist or industry support supplier and would like to join us on an episode, send us a message through LinkedIn or complete the inquiry form on the Pharmacy View webpage. I'm your host, Michael Alexander, pharmacist and co-founder of the communication intelligence platform, Ottery. On behalf of Shopfront Solutions and Arion Technologies, Thanks again for joining us today on the Pharmacy View podcast.